Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're in a series entitled Labels. Labels is a word I've chosen to get your attention about the names of Jesus. A label, as I defined in the last service, labels identify the quality and define the value of an object or a person. Everybody buys garments. There's a label on it. It defines brand, make, and sometimes the value or the expensiveness of that garment can be in that name. But the label actually defines for you what you're putting on. So we're talking about the labels, the labels of Jesus. Labels, over 700 names given to Jesus. Help us discover his quality and value, who he is and how he works in people's lives. When we speak about the labels or the names of Jesus, we're talking about how to put a handle on or identify the nature, character, power, and ministry of Jesus to a person. How he actually touches a person's life. We might have two or three or four or five names attached to our life. Jesus has 700. Why? Because in his ministry, there are so many things he can do for you and I. And I'm going to remind you about four of those labels as we go through. Here's some of the labels that you will find in the Bible. I'm not going to give you all 700 of them, obviously. Wouldn't put it past me, though, would you? Labels, Emmanuel. Christ, Son of God, Son of the Most High, Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Alpha and Omega, Morning Star, Chief Shepherd, Day Spring, Savior, Holy One, King of Kings, Lion, Lion of the Tribe of Judah, Lamb of God, Lord of Lords, Rose of Sharon, Faithful and True, God, Messiah, Redeemer, Light, Living One, Word, Bread of Life, advocate, mediator, and we could read on and on. These are some of the labels. There's also then the functions or the titles that you could go into as prophet, priest, and king. And there's dozens of those as we talk about who Jesus is during this particular Christmas season. Isaiah 9, 6, if you have your Bible, I'd like you to go there. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 is the text that we're using to talk about the four labels that we're looking at during this particular series. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, a child is born, a son is given. Why? Because the son has been pre-existent, pre-eternal, has always been. And he will be our ruler. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, putting the names together in pairs or what is called compound names of God. Wonderful, not Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, but Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of peace. Now, Isaiah, 750 years prior to Christ, he begins to prophesy about this coming king that will bring peace to their country and to their particular context, which was filled with uh, horrible circumstances of darkness and death, as we spoke about in the last message. And so Isaiah is prophesying seven centuries ahead. Sometimes the prophets knew what they were doing. Sometimes the prophets uh, did not have a clue as to what they were actually prophesying or when it would be fulfilled. 
In this case, Isaiah is prophesying about a king that would come and help them in their context. That needed to happen right then. It didn't happen right then. In the prophetic realm, the eternal realm, the spiritual realm, we know that Isaiah was talking about Jesus because this prophecy is fulfilled and taken up in the New Testament by the writers of the New Testament to attach it to Jesus, and Jesus attaches it to himself. And so we know the prophecy was for Christ, fulfilled in Christ, and in the New Testament we have this prophecy. Now, the four labels given to Jesus in this prophecy... Remember, the foundation of the scriptures and the prophets and the apostles. If you want to understand the Old Testament, the Old Testament is not just a bunch of books of the Bible where you look at them and then just try to apply however you want. Well, this must mean that, you know, this prophecy is for that country or it was fulfilled or it's being fulfilled now. And whatever it says about Israel, that's Israel over in the Middle East. That's not how the Old Testament works. The Old Testament works as prophecy when it is coupled together with the New Testament apostles. Ephesians 2, it says, upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, the church is built. It's not just apostles and prophets as in flesh and blood. Ephesians 4, men and women who are apostles and prophets, but the scriptures themselves become foundational. When a prophet prophesies and an apostle takes up the prophecy, there's a twofold witness. And you have then good interpretation. You don't have imagination, you have interpretation. And then you can take the scripture and look at it as it was actually fulfilled, what the prophets meant it to be. Now, I'm not going to get into teaching on prophecy, but there are multiple levels to understand the Old Testament. That's just one little key there. All right, now, the four labels we're looking at, Isaiah 9, verse 6, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. The four labels. We're looking at uh, two of them in this particular message, wonderful counselor, and I also want to touch on mighty God. All right, let's go right to wonderful counselor. First of all, I want to define wonderful for you because it's such an awesome word, and it's used throughout the Scriptures to define or to describe the Lord Jesus Christ himself. All right? Wonderful. This is what the word actually means if you would, again, take all the different Hebrew and Greek words and just crush them together and come up with one definition. It would look something like this. Wonderful causes wonderful, astonishing, unexpected, and beyond the normal things to happen. Things that are unusual. Things that are miraculous. Causes things to happen that seem, well, impossible. When we speak about the wonderful counselor, he not only gives you counsel, he has the ability to bring the counsel to reality, even if it takes a miracle or divine intervention to bring it in, into reality. He has the power not only to tell you what to do, but to work it into your life. He's a wonderful counselor. There's nobody quite like this counselor as we're going to see tonight. The Lord Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He can do anything with the words he gives you. He can apply them. He can give power to fulfill them. He can create a miracle to make sure it happens. He can see the beginning and the end. He knows exactly how to speak into your life. He's wonderful. He can do unexpected things. Beyond the normal. How many of you in this service would say, I would be open for the wonderful counselor to do something in my life that would be unexpected? How about something that would be beyond the normal? How about something that just is downright miraculous? 
Well, whenever you come to this season, if there was ever a time for you to think about the miraculous, to actually try and grasp what a miracle means, it's during the Christmas season when the virgin birth and the angels sing and the greatest miracle of all, the incarnation, takes place. That God actually becomes flesh. The, the greatest miracle in the universe is the incarnation. The resurrection confirms that incarnation because if he was born God, there's no big deal for God to rise from the grave and to break forth into newness because he's God. But the birth is the big deal. How was Jesus born? He was born of a virgin. He was born from the seed of God. He was born with a miracle. The wonderful counselor is a miracle-working God. And for us to expect something wonderful in our life is a great way to live. Wouldn't it just be awful if you only ever expected awful things? If you only ever expected God to do what you expect? If you only expected God just to be a normal God? I say to our staff all the time and everybody around me all the time, go higher. Look up. Believe for more. Don't settle for that. Go beyond that. God's bigger than that. Don't you settle on that. Think again before you make that decision. I say that to my children. I say that to my staff. I say that to myself. I say that to my mind and my heart and my spirit and my emotions and my life and everything around me. I believe that God loves to do things beyond the normal. He loves to work the impossible into those realms that we have labeled impossible. He loves to bring a possibility out of it. Now, it's easy for me to believe for God to be miraculous in Japan and Georgia and Washington, D.C. and Iraq and somewhere else. If I pray for healing, it's easier for me to Believe God to heal the person out there or over there, someone that's away from me, instead of believing God to heal me because I'm living with the pain. I'm living with the pain. How can I call on the healer? I would rather just settle with the pain. If I'm living broke, how can I call on abundance? Broke is reality for me. Lack is reality for me. Sickness is reality for me. Bad relationships is reality for me. Brokenness is reality for me. You have an emotion that's out of place. It's easy to say to Aunt Mary, I hope that you get your emotion fixed. But God comes and says, what about yours? I don't know about mine, God. I just kind of live with it. I want you during this particular season to go beyond the normal, lift a little higher and believe God to work some miracles in your life. In your mind, in your marriage, in your finance, in your decision. He's wonderful. He can do the miraculous. Turn to your neighbor and say, you know, that's really true. It's really true. He can do the miraculous. He can go beyond. He can do the things that nobody else can do. How many of you have ever been to a counselor? How many of you have ever been disappointed in a counselor? How many of you flat received some wrong counsel? And you want to talk to that person when you get to heaven, maybe, when everybody's all perfect. How many of you have gone to a counsel or a counselor and they've told you things and it sounds right and it feels right, but you didn't have the power to do it? How many of you are just flat out a hopeless case? How many of you would say, 
No, I'm not a hopeless case, but boy, sometimes I feel like a hopeless case. Come on, how about that? Sometimes I feel like, you know, I look around at all these whole people and these whole families and these people that have everything going, and I think to myself, are they living a lie? Are they really, are they really like that at home? I've had people say to me and, and ask my kids and ask my wife, people ask my family funny questions about me. Is he really like that at home? What's he really like at home? He's wonderful. Counselor. Mighty Frank. (laughs) Prince of all fathers. One of my staff had a person ask me, ask him about me. They asked a very insightful question. I I thought if you wanted to get something out of somebody, it was a very insightful question. They said, you know, if I could find out one thing about Pastor Frank, that would surprise me. That is not maybe something I would know by listening to him preach or watching him in a conference somewhere. Something that would surprise me. What would you tell me about Pastor Frank? So I'm listening to this staff person run this by and I'm thinking, what would you tell him? And he's really hard to work with, or whatever. But you know, he chose something that was just, what a blessing for me. He says, you probably don't know it, but Pastor Frank is the best father I have ever met in my life. He loves his children so deeply and is so committed to his family. It's unbelievable. He told me that, and I thought to myself, wow. Everlasting Father. (laughs) Not that everything I do turns out like you would want it as a father. Or that every child is perfect because mine are not. But whether they're perfect or not has nothing to do with how much I love them. Whether they have problems or not has nothing to do with my commitment to them. Whether they're an irritation on other people has nothing to do with how I treat them. Because I've had some people, I had one woman write me a note. She said, spank that child. She named one of my children because something happened in church. And she wrote me a note and said, you should spank the living daylights out of that child. So I wrote back on the note because she handed it to me. And on the way out, I handed it back to her. And, it, and I said it on the note, someone should spank the living daylights out of you too. How does it feel for someone that says, spank the living daylights out of them? My kids are my kids. Well, God feels that way about you and me. You're the best kid he's ever had. He absolutely loves you. When someone says, beat the snot out of that sinner, God says, I think I might start on you. (laughs) How can you forgive them for that? What kind of a God are you? I'm the kind of God everybody wished they had. He's different. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. God is wonderful. Just when you think you've stretched His love beyond the limits, He does something else. Just when you and your mind, two and two, you add it up and say, there's nothing more coming to me from God, God says, oh yeah, there is. But Lord, look what I did. I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at the way you... 
where you are right now. And I'm going to minister to you where you are. He's wonderful. And he's a counselor. Now, let's put down the word counselor. The word counselor, crush it together simply, possesses wisdom. Now, this counselor we're talking about will never disappoint you. Never lie to you. Never give you wrong counsel. But what he will do is he'll tell you the truth. And sometimes you would rather have wrong counsel than the truth. Sometimes you'd rather have somebody really sugarcoat everything than just flat out tell you what is wrong. Well, Jesus is committed to truth. Now, Jesus, being a counselor, possesses wisdom and insight to your purpose, to your plan, and knows how to strategize with you for your future. He's an awesome counselor. This is what Isaiah says. We need somebody who's wonderful, does beyond the normal, the miraculous, has the power to fulfill it, goes beyond anything you can ever imagine. We need somebody that has that kind of a power with the ability to actually plan and strategize the purposes for a nation, for a home, and for a, perp- and for a person, and have the ability to fulfill those purposes with you. Jesus sits down with you, and he pulls out his pen and his paper, and he says, all right. Let's talk about your life. Okay, Jesus, I need something wonderful. Well, that's, that's what's on my door. I'm, I'm wonderful. I'm going to do something wonderful for you. But I can't see wonderful. I don't feel wonderful. I don't believe wonderful. Matter of fact, it should be awful and disappointing. I don't see wonderful on this door at all. It's okay. Just trust me. I will bring wonderful to your life. And I'm your counselor, and I have the wisdom to know exactly where you should go. But how can I know that? Well, because I've always been here. I know the past and the future. I know where you will be 50 years from now, what you will look like. And what you have been going through for those whole 50 years. And I know it all right now. Will you tell me some of it? No, I just, I want you to think about wonderful. I don't want to tell you everything that's coming your way. But I want to help you plan a few things. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could sit down with a counselor that's always been here? He has no beginning, no end. He just always has been. He knows everything that's coming your way. He knows every trial that you will go through. He knows every mountain you will climb. He knows every challenge you'll be challenged with. He says, now, we need to get some strength into you in these areas because about three years from now, you're going to really go through a situation where you're going to need to get a hold of this truth. So let's talk about it. He's your counselor. He knows how to plan for your future. Now, Jesus, the wonderful counselor, would tell you four things. Are you ready? Four things Jesus, the wonderful counselor, would start with. These are the starting point. Number one, he would give you the direction you should go. Not the direction you want to go, not the direction other people want you to go, but he would give you the direction he wants you to go. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel. Of the ungodly. You can walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Psalms 1.1. And you can go down a path. 
that you're not supposed to go down. Psalms 32 and verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, and I will guide you with my eye. Psalm 73 verse 24. You will guide me with your counsel. And afterward, visit me with your glory. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. And this is the beginning point of veering off from the path you should be on is when everything is in your reasoning right in your own eyes. Jesus says, you know, that's not, that's not the way to go. Well, you know what? I'm going to get back at these people. No, you don't, you don't do, do it that way. Broad is the way for destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to the right way of living. But you have to reel it in and live the narrow way. But you know what? If I don't watch out for me, who's going to watch out for me? No, that's, that's wrong thinking again. You know what? I'll never forgive him because no, 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 you can't. That's the way of a fool. It's right in your eyes, but it's not the counsel I'm going to give you. The counsel I'm going to give you when someone smacks you on the right cheek Turn your other one. Well, that doesn't make sense. No, my counsel usually doesn't make sense. When someone says, go another mile for me, tell them I'll go that mile and I'll add another mile to it. Someone comes by and takes your cloak, give them your money too. If somebody reviles you, bless them. If you suffer, be happy. How's that for a good day of counsel? And that's why people don't follow the counsel of Jesus. Because to the human mind, you don't want to get kicked. You don't want to suffer. You don't want to give. You don't want someone to take. You want to protect yourself. You want to get back at people. Vengeance is the human nature, the carnal man, that's not the way of Jesus. Even on the cross, he's saying, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. They sure look like they know what they're doing. They're putting the nails in. They're putting you right on that post. What do you mean they don't know what they're doing? They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. The Lord Jesus gives counsel that the fool doesn't understand. Some of us make foolish decisions. We're not fools, but we make foolish decisions. Number two. He will give you the best plans and strategies for you to use in your lifetime. Now, I have three or four that I use in my life and have for 30 years that I would call ministry philosophy strategies that I live by. I use those even when my mind and my emotion says, don't do this. I go back to my commitment to the counsel that I've applied to my life that I will do it this way because that's the right way to do it. I don't care how I feel. This is the way I'm going to handle this. Strategies for your life. He knows everything about you. Number three, he will give you the wisdom to make the best decisions if you will ask him and if you'll listen to him. Wisdom is not hard to find, people. Wisdom, according to James, says if a man asks, he'll get it. According to the book of Proverbs, wisdom is all around you. According to the book of Proverbs, wisdom is easier to get than foolishness. But you have to have faith for the wisdom of Jesus. 
Jesus says, spend more time in your foundation and less time on the beauty of the house and you'll have a long-lasting house. But I don't want to spend a lot of time on my character and my foundations and you won't have a very good house. Elevate character above charisma and you'll always have fruit. But I like charisma more than character. Then you'll have trouble later in your life. Never violate integrity even when it seems right and even when no one else knows it. Because you'll pay. There's pieces of wisdom that Jesus counsels when the disciples were all struggling about who was going to be the greatest. He says, just just second here, guys, let me give you a piece of advice. The least will be the greatest. The poorest will be the richest. The last shall be first. And they all kind of frowned at that. Well, do, do you mean that we should seek to be last? Yes. And he who serves is the greatest. But I thought we were rulers and called to establish kingdoms. Yeah, you are. But my world is upside down. The way you establish rule, I serve. And the way you establish power is by weakness. And the way you get righteousness is to deny yourself. Opposite. Number four, he would give you the insight to discern properly and accurately everything around your life. He would give you the insight to understand what you're going through. The insight to look Beyond the darkness, the insight and the discernment to actually deal with people. If you have the wisdom to deal with people and the insight of Jesus to know what's in the heart of people, it would keep you out of so much trouble. If you could actually have discernment about people. Some singles would never date that guy or that gal if they had discernment. They would just back up and say, No, looks good, not good. I discern something's amiss here. When it comes to your children's friends, everything can look right, but something in your spirit says it's not right. It's happened with every one of my children that I've had to go and say, this friendship's not going to go any further. But dad, how can you say that? Why? I I don't know exactly why. I just know that's what I see. And then later on, things happen and you think, wow, thank God I spoke up because they could have been in that car or at that beach party or at that person's house or, you know, this person could have been an abusive person and that's who they were hanging out with and it could have been, I mean, it could be all kinds of reasons for you to have discernment. How many of you understand life is too complicated to live without Jesus? I tell you right now, my prayer every day is Jesus help me, Jesus speak to me, Jesus go before me, Jesus don't let me do wrong, Jesus let me see everything right, Jesus put my heart in perspective, Jesus live through me, Jesus I need your help again, Lord don't let me reason this out, I got to have Jesus in this. I pray that way every day. Why? Because I really believe that he's a wonderful 
counselor. And when people fail me, there's one who never fails. When counsel seems a little funny, it might be until you go to Jesus and go to the word. He never fails. But he does tell you the truth. Say, I want to see a counselor that will tell me to leave this horrible husband I have. And you've tried three or four already. But if you would see Jesus, Jesus might say, you know, you really don't have to leave him. But he committed adultery. That's not the seal for divorce. By the way, people, divorce does not give you, I mean, adultery does not give you a right to divorce. Hardness of heart is why Jesus gave the bill of divorcement, not adultery. The adultery brought the heart issues that couldn't be resolved. But she says, if you really want to take care of this, forgive. I can't forgive him. Yes, you can. If you want to take my counsel, you need to change your heart. But I don't want to go back to him, but that's exactly what you should do. You know, it's, it's been amazing to me, even when I've wanted to say to people, get out of the marriage. And that has been in me probably 25 times over the 30 years I've pastored. Get out. I've listened to him and I would say, get out. But against my emotion, I would go to the principal and say, you can't get out. You need to work this out. And I would say to myself, Frank, there's no way to work it out. They don't live together. They hate each other. They're already seeing somebody else. I mean, all the signs are there and the knowledge. I know that it can't work out. But, you know, the times I've persevered and our pastors have persevered, amazingly so. We have gotten couples back together that would look like they would never be back together. Ever. And now they're going on, raising their children, happily married. What would have happened if we would have said, you know what? This is my counsel. Get rid of the slob. Drop her out of your life. He has you hopelessly in debt. Put him out of the home. He's walked out on you and slept with someone else. Get rid of him. Get rid of her. That's right. The Bible okays that. You got to step back and you got to go back to the words of Jesus and the counsel of Jesus because the counsel of Jesus is usually the harder way. Forgive. Stay with. Work out. Hope. Love. Love beyond your flesh. Love beyond your mind. I don't know why I got into that, but I'm sure that somebody can ship that off to a relative somewhere. All right, everlasting father, the everlasting father. Would you please just put it down this way? The father that we need for all seasons. The father that we need for all seasons, the everlasting father. In America, one third of all children go to bed every night without their biological father. That's 24 million children. If you think you're, kind of a specialized case that you don't have a relationship to your father, never knew your father, or at this point, don't even live with your father. In our nation, there's 24 million children don't have a father, biological father in the home. In our nation, we have a fatherless problem. And it's carried over now for a few generations. Fathers that are there, but they're not there. They're absent. 
If I went on to be with Jesus right now, which I'm not planning on, but you know what? I would die a happy father because I put my family always before the ministry. If I died, some of you would be sad. You'd shed a tear and in a few weeks, someone else would be preaching and you'd say, we like him. And in a few months, I'd be a picture on a wall. And after that, the picture would move. And then pretty soon there'd be no picture. And then life goes on. But I'll tell you someone who won't forget me. It's my children. They won't forget me. Because we have created moments of memories where they understand as a father, they're the apple of my eye. I just read a book recently by a news commentator who collected hundreds and thousands of stories from children about their father. I first picked it up at an airport because it looked interesting to me. And I sat down on the plane to start reading through And I'm sitting on the plane sobbing. I'm embarrassed. I try to turn to one side, but that person's looking at me. I turn to the other side, and that person's looking at me. Finally, the stewardess comes over and puts her hand on my arm and says, Is everything okay, sir? (laughs) Yes, of course it's okay. What's wrong with you? I mean, I was... I didn't want to tell them. I'm a minister. What's your problem? You have a problem? I... But I was so moved by these stories written by children about their fathers. And what was so moving about them is that I could feel as a father some of their situations that maybe my kids might say, because they're all about moments you would remember, but your father might not even think it was a great moment. And what moments in their childhood... They remembered. Like these five daughters tell a story early on in their uh, relationship with their dad. They used to comb his hair and dress him up like a woman. <laughs> not, not, not evil, not women clothes, but they would just do the hair and the nails and the toenails. They would paint them red. Well, one day at the swimming pool, where the father was swimming with all the other people, there he was with his ten toes with the, with the uh, red stuff on it. And somebody commented. And all the fathers said, oh, those silly girls. He forgot himself. The father went into the hospital. The girls were all married. All have their own children. He's the granddad. Goes in the hospital. He's on a deathbed. They're going to take him off life support. So they called all the daughters, and the daughters are standing there. One of the daughters said, you know what we should do? We should paint his toenails so that he goes into eternity remembering what his girls did to him. So they went and bought some uh, red paint. And the nurse is standing there watching these five girls paint the toes of now their deceased father. So they took him off life support. And they're painting his toes. All of them sobbing. 
remember in the moment where dad used to let us do this. What a relationship we had with dad. We can send him into eternity thinking the angels are going to be laughing about this. (laughs) But who would have thought that a moment like that would be remembered? What do you remember about your father? That would be a moment to capture. Well, for some you'd have to seek and you might not have very many. I think it's so important that Isaiah would actually bring this label into one of the greatest prophecies about Jesus. I've always thought about Isaiah 6, why he wouldn't have added the power gifts of Jesus. Wonderful healer, miracle worker, preacher. Why he didn't add some of those real ministries that all of us would love to have. But instead, he says, you know what you're going to remember about Jesus? Those special moments when you had nothing to live for and the Father came and put his arm around you. The Father said, you know, when the whole world walks out, I'm here. When you have nobody in the natural realm to actually whisper a few words into your spirit, there's God. There's that everlasting Father for every season that never misses a moment in your life. Now, when I think about Father God, my spirit begins to warm up a little bit. You know what? God's been good to me. You know what? God never failed me. You know what? I'm kind of a rascal. But God loves me anyway. You know what? There's some moments that I hope Father God doesn't talk about when I get to heaven. But if he does, it might be a little humorous for him to bring it up because he could see the whole journey. Father, wherever you are with your natural father, it could be great and that's awesome. Wherever you are with the natural realm should not hinder where you are in this realm of the everlasting Father. Father God, how he wants to relate to you. Take down this definition, God as Father. When you think of God as Father, I think of this. He reveals to us a God who is loving, forgiving, enduring, sacrificing, accepting, always there. And never too busy. I am never too busy for my kids, ever. Ever. They can get me during a service, after service, in office. My staff knows, my staff sitting here in these services this weekend, they know, no matter who it is, if my kids call, I'm talking. I was supposed to pick up Bill Hybels, pastor of Willow Creek, big time, big name, big fella. First time he'd ever been to our church. But my son Andrew was in a football game at the same time Bill was arriving. And it was his opening game as a freshman. He's playing quarterback. 
I'm not going to miss that, not even for Bill Hybels. So I went to the game, and I just told Dad, pick him up and tell Bill I'll see him at the meeting. I get a phone call during the game. It's Bill. Hey, Frank. You decided not to pick me up, huh? Yeah. When he called, Andrew was rolling to the right to throw a pass. And I rolled with the phone. So Bill's talking, but I'm not listening. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, Bill. Um, boy, I'm sorry. And Bill, Bill hangs me out the drive. Boy, he, he stretches this all the way to try to make me. Then he starts laughing. He says, hey, listen, buddy. You made the right choice, and that's exactly what I would do. Enjoy the game. Don't even come to the service if you don't have to. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> Why? Because I'm a father. First, a father. Second, well, first a husband, second a father. Because even after my kids are out, empty nest, gone. <laughs> I have my wife. Father God, he's pretty awesome. Now, let me wrap this up by reading these off to you so you can just pray them through. All right? He's the father for all seasons. I'm just going to make one line statements about 10 seconds each. I'm just going to read these out so you can see them. What kind of a God is God our Father. He is a father who is personally involved with my life. He cares about everything. My decisions, my recreation, my relationship. Number two, he's a father who's always compassionate. He feels, he's touched by my feelings, and he's always gentle with me, even when I think he's going to swap me a little bit. There's always that Love. Third, he's always accepting. I might reject myself. God never does. Four, he's a father who is always affectionate. Your emotions need to be released in worship and loving God and letting God be an affectionate to you. I don't know if it goes with age, but I find that I cry more now than I did 25 years ago. Anybody else experiencing that? Well, life softens you or it hardens you. And the more I let God love on me, the more responsive I can be. Number five, he's a father who was always there. I never call up heaven and they say, he's too busy. He can't talk to you now. He's on the bigger things. He's got a few other universes to create. Just leave him alone for a while. Never. Number six, he's a father who's always patient doesn't get angry at me, doesn't read me off. Seven, he's a father who's always loving. He doesn't just judge. He's not hard. He's not brutal. He's a loving father. He's a father who's always trustworthy. What he says, he will do. He's trustworthy. He's a father who gives me the freedom to fail. The freedom to fail. One of the most sacred moments I've had with Probably all my four children 
is when they failed. When they disappointed themselves, someone else, and maybe me. A chance for me to be pretty tough. Or a chance for me to be tough, love, gracious, and letting them know nothing can separate you from my love. He's trustworthy. He gives me freedom to fail. My father has heart and arms that are always open to me, like the prodigal son really explains who who Father God is. Going out to find that prodigal and hug him and kiss him and put the shoes and the ring and the robe and the open arms of Father God. And last, he's a father who's always committed to me. He never quits, never lets up, never trades me in for someone else, never stops short, never reads me off, never says, oh, go find another God. I'm tired of you. never happens. He's committed to me for always. Can I hear a big amen?